Come on, we can clap. Part two of our series, Untold Stories. Have you ever had a dream that didn't come to pass? Maybe you're a little child and you dream that your future would be a certain way and it hasn't ended up that way. Maybe there's been a strong desire to accomplish a goal in your life, to, to, to accomplish a certain educational goal or a certain monetary goal or a certain position, and you found yourself being passed over and life hasn't turned out that way. Maybe someone else's bad decision impacted your life in a really, really negative way. Maybe you were abused as a child, or maybe someone did something and it really impacted you. Maybe you experienced death suddenly. Someone in your family passed away, a parent passed away, a child passed away. You know, the fact is today that there are thousands of ways that we experience pain in this life. Thousands of ways. Thousands of ways that we experience grief, loss, and suffering. If you have your Bibles, you can look at one passage of Scripture with me. We're going to look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse number 4. And uh, Jesus is teaching the most powerful message, the most powerful message he ever spoke in relationship to what? The kingdom, the rule of God. Kingdom just simply means the rule, the rule of God, the kingdom of God looks like. And he's gathered thousands of people. He's on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And if you go with us in June of 2020, you'll actually see the spot that scholars believe that Jesus delivered this message. And on the, uh, on the, the shoreline, he, he looked up into this kind of natural amphitheater and he began to teach about God's kingdom, the reality of God and who he is and how he works and what's our response to that. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 4, Jesus says these words. They seem so paradoxical paradoxical to me. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who grieve. I mean, come on. Those are like two words that don't go together, like jumbo shrimp. You know what I mean? Like they just don't work, right? I mean, it just doesn't seem to go together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be be comforted. Over the next couple moments, uh, I want to talk to you on this topic of finding healing in our time of grief, loss, or pain. Finding healing in our time of grief, loss, or pain. I want to ask you a question. I want to, just one question here. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, I want you to think about the the, the greatest amount of grief, pain, or loss you've ever experienced. I want you to just kind of play back, you know, if you're a little older, if you're like my age, 50s, you got 50 years to replay in your mind real quick. You, you got that, you know that, you got that little instant video you can replay. If you're 12 years old or 20 years old, you don't have as long to play back, so you should be able to think of it quicker. But uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Why don't you just look back over your life and think of the most painful thing that you've walked through and experienced. And on a scale of one to 10, how much grief or pain do you feel like you experienced? The fact is all of us in this room, we've experienced pain. We've experienced grief. If we haven't experienced it yet, we just haven't lived long enough. Because you know this, it's a reality. Pain is going to come. Sorrow is going to come. It's, it's trials and struggles and all these things are going to take place in our life. It's, a, it's the problem of living in a fallen world. Uh, This morning, our untold story is of a woman in our church, and she's experienced some pain, some loss. She's really had to deal with this issue of grief in her life. I want you to check out her untold story. Watch this video. 
My name is Maida. My grandmother was a proclaimed atheist. It's ironic because she was the one that taught me the Lord's Prayer. She also, along with that, made me feel like if I didn't say the Lord's Prayer, something bad would, might happen. I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I instead had a fear of Christ at a very young age. I was in the sixth grade and my father had lung cancer and he passed away just a few months after. My world was totally rocked. All my security had kind of dissipated and right after that my mother was diagnosed with lupus. She became a hermit and I became the adult of the house. Basically I started mourning and grieving over her before she even died because she wasn't the same person. What I knew as normal was breaking apart. My grandmother had always told me, if you don't pray, something's gonna happen to you. I just got mad at God and started dabbling into drugs, into other girls, and not taking care of myself. I stopped going to school. I got married when I was in my early 20s. He was also into, or knew of Santa Barbara, which is a black force. I was into tarot cards and seances and anything to make God angry because I felt like he had allowed bad things to happen to me, so I was going to be bad at him. That first husband passed away from uh, aneurysm and a massive heart attack. We were laying right next to each other, back to back, and I didn't know he was, had passed away. I slept with him for eight hours that night, and when I woke up, um, I knew something wasn't right because he wasn't moving. And I had taken a shower, came back upstairs, and he still hadn't been moving. So I learned what I knew about Jesus from my grandmother, who claimed she was the atheist. And so she had passed away. I pretty much had a nervous breakdown when my first husband passed away. And I had my own business, and I allowed it to be taken back by the bank. I started living underneath of my pool table with my 80-pound Dalmatian and a bottle of liquor, a lantern that was lit by oil with covers, just keeping me inside underneath of this pool table. I was using the bathroom under there with a Walmart plastic bag because I had, at that time, let the electricity go out and I wasn't paying for anything. I wasn't working and the water had been cut off and rats were running through my house. At that point, my grandmother had passed, my father had passed, my first husband ended up dying, and then my mother died in my arms two years after that in the same house. I didn't think that God was anywhere to be found. I thought that I was a lost cause. I didn't want anything to do with church. A child dying of AIDS 
Fighting round the world, a daddy lost his girl. Still we kneel and pray. But heaven can feel silent and the floor beneath gets cold. When your soul refuses to let go. But wait, tell me, am I too late? What happens when the healing never comes? Do we stand and curse the heaven or lift our hands and feel the sun? The mystery's not clear, just once your voice I'd love to hear. What happens when the healing never comes? I know we love the seasons like summer and the spring, but I've been stuck in winter since the fall of misery. One day I'm full of anger and the next I'm full of fear. Every year is a new supply of tears. Is there a chance for me to believe we will dance together soon? If there's a billion galaxies, I'll count each one till I'm with you. They say where you are is better, but I want you here with me. Oh, this is for a purpose, but hurt will So now I must be silent. Your voice is in the wind. The hands that made the heavens will heal the storm within. I have so many questions. I don't know where to begin. Since you were there at the beginning, you already know. our hands and feel the sun. The mystery's not clear, just what's your voice I love to hear. What happens when the What happens when the healing 
never comes. 1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a groundbreaking book entitled Death and Dying. She was a psychiatrist, and, and she was looking for information on dealing with people who were in the final stages of life, particularly people that lived in nursing homes. And she didn't find a lot of material, and as she began to study this issue, she, she defined what psychiatrists, psychologists, what sociologists, what's taught in universities around the world today. She described this process of grief that people experience and people walk through. Uh, she labeled them the five stages of grief. She talked about these five stages of grief that people walk through. And I, what I've discovered, it's not just five. I believe there's five plus one. But I want to just kind of walk through it real quick. She, oh, we lost our little screen here. Denial is number one, okay? <laughs> On one of these screens up here it goes. I, I know that I know that it's supposed to say that. But denial is the first step that people walk through and experience. And, and, and this, whole, this whole thing, something happens. You, you lose a job. You... Uh, you have a relationship that breaks up suddenly. I mean, all kinds of things happen. Death. I mean, uh, yesterday, one of our employees, uh, a, a young man that she had taken as a foster child, Saturday morning was doing some crazy things, playing around with a gun, and he shot himself in the head. He's down at ORMC right now. There's a lot of shock, and it's like hard to believe that actually could take place. But people get into a denial mode. When things bad happen in their life. The second thing that tends to happen in people, once they kind of get over the denial stage, is they get really angry. They get angry at themselves for the circumstance. They get angry at someone else. And usually that anger spills out to the people that are close to them, the closest to them. And then we get into a bargaining stage. We, we want to negotiate. People get a bad diagnosis from a doctor, and it's not looking good, and so they want to start to bargain. Okay, God, if you, God, if you heal me or you help me live a little bit longer till my child graduates, or, you know, we want to start to bargain. We want to bargain maybe in a relationship. Maybe our relationship's gone south, and we want to try to still hold on to what we thought we had in the past and try to bring it into our future. We'll say, oh, maybe we could be friends. And there's all kinds of things that people do to try to bargain. And then they, the depression is another potential step in this cycle of, of dealing with grief and pain and loss. But people get really discouraged. They get despondent. They, they take pills. They do all kinds of things in this depressive state. They want to give up on life. Maybe they stop taking care of themselves. Their self-care just goes down the tube. You've seen this happen maybe to people that you work with. Maybe it's happened to yourself. Maida and her story, she was in this stage, and she stayed there for a long time. And her depression took her to some very dark and very deep places in her life. Then there's this reality. At some point, generally it happens in most people that walk through these stages is acceptance. You just kind of, okay, this happened, and they they started to process it. They they realized it took place, and they, they start to make some steps forward in their life. But for a believer, I believe there's another phase in this. I call it the phase of sanctification. The recognition and the realization that the problems, the pain, the troubles, the things that we experience in this life, the loss, the deep grief or sorrow that we walk through has a greater good and a greater glory. Paul the Apostle in the book of Romans said to the church, all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. When we understand that God is doing a deeper work in us, we become more like Christ. We're becoming more, and the ultimate goal of God in your life and in my life is to make us more like Jesus. And that's the goal, that, that, that what's taking place in here is just the beginning of what we're going to experience in perfect, in perfect reality in heaven. 
It's the process of God changing us, conforming us. It was Paul's prayer for the church that they'd be conformed into the image and the person of Christ. I listened to a podcast about two weeks ago as I was preparing for this message. I told someone, I said, the strangest thing happened to me on this last Sunday, Easter Sunday. I was in our fifth service, and I was preaching. It was in this service, and the only thought that came to me while I was talking to you is, oh, my goodness, i got to preach next week again. <laughs> and so I was thinking, and I listened to this podcast. This young lady's name is Nora McNerney. She does a, a TED video podcast. She's written for the New York Times and for Elle magazine and a bunch of different magazines. And, and she talks about this issue of moving on, this issue of moving on. She lost, she lost her second child through a miscarriage. Two weeks later, her father passed away suddenly. And then about three weeks after that, her 34-year-old husband died of brain cancer. I mean, it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And she talks about the grief. She talks about the, the sorrows. She talked about, you know, people say all kinds of things when people are walking through those kinds of emotions. And, and some people say, you know, they're well-meaning, right? People are well-meaning, but they say things that are really kind of dumb. And somebody said, hey, when are you going to move on? And she's like, move on. And she goes, how can I move on when every time I look at my little two-year-old child, I see my husband? How can I move on? And every time, she, she said, I've been remarried, I have a great life, and, you know, this was just recently. She did this, uh, this TED cast, and she said, you know, my life is going good, and she said, but I got a new husband now, and I have two new children in, our, in my family. And she said, every time I see them, I'm reminded of what I lost. She said, I can't move on from that. I can't move on from the pain, the loss, the grief. Maida had a story. She, uh, that's her story. It's her story. But here's the deal. You might not move on in a sense, because you're going to carry that story with you the rest of your life. But you can learn how to move forward. Come on. You can learn how to move forward. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about how do we move forward through the pain, the loss, the suffering, the grief of this life. How do we do that? How do we move forward through, the, through life experiences that are challenging and difficult? Last week, I, I watched another video cast. It was by a man by the name of Dr. Rick Warren. You might not know uh, Rick Warren, but he pastors a very large church in Southern California. He was one of the most famous evangelical leaders in the world for a long time, still is today. Uh, His 27-year-old in 2013 had mental issues, mental challenges for most of his life, and he committed suicide. I mean, just devastating. It wasn't just in the church that this made the news. I mean, this came across, it was on the worldwide wire. I mean, it was just sudden and and about four months after the suicide of his son, uh, Rick comes back, and he has a message, and he talks about the pain. He talks about grief. It was, I listened to it. I was just absolutely amazed. And one of the things that Rick said, he says, there is no life without change. There is no life without change, no change without loss, no loss without pain, but how I grieve is my choice. Amen. Did you hear that? How I grieve is my choice. So how do we do this? How do we move forward? How do we move forward? First thing that has to happen. The first thing that has to happen is that no matter what's happened to you, no matter how much pain is coming to your world, listen to me today. You must believe God is good even in our time of loss. Come on. God is good even in our time of life. Even when life isn't fair. 
Even when, you know, when I was a young man, I wanted everything to be fair. And this friend of mine, that guy that I was working with, I was going on about how terrible it was and how bad my dad was and all these things in my life. And this friend of mine, his name was Scott Reeder. He probably doesn't even remember this conversation, but he stopped me right in the middle of work. And he looked at me and he opens up a pretend violin case and he starts to play it. And then he says these words to me. He said, Eugene, whoever told you life was fair lied to you. Like, whoa, 19 years old. It like hit me right in the face. Here's what the psalmist says. Listen to what the psalmist says. Oh, you are good. And what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Teach me your ways. You see, when you recognize that life isn't fair, but God is good, you know what happens? You know what you begin to realize? God is not against you, but God is for you today. Come on. God is not against you today. God is for you today. I mean, one of the things that made his story, she, how Jesus, you know, Jesus was angry at her. She had this concept, this wrong concept that God was mad at her. God was punishing her. So she was going to punish God back. And that's what happens when we get anger, angry about our circumstance. We, we start to punish other people. And ultimately, that punishment really doesn't impact other people. That punishment, it hurts us. It hurts us. Paul the Apostle had talking about trials and difficulties and challenges that he was walking through. And he experienced a lot of them, all for the cause of doing good, all for the cause of preaching the gospel, all for the cause of telling other people about Jesus, says it like this. He says, what should we say about all these troubles that come in my life? What should we say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you today, come on, if God is for you today, who can be against you? The why me questions. Why me? <laughs> the sooner you can learn why not you, the quicker you can start to move forward. God is good. Stuff happens. Fallen world. Evil world. Bad things happen. God doesn't cause it. God, I'm telling you, I just, I, I, the older I get, the more I see this personal choice. God has given you the ability to choose to do good things and to do stupid things. And other people, because of choices of people, we experience pain many times in life. But here's what you have to know today. God is good. And he's with you today. God is with you. The moment you say yes to Jesus, the moment you say yes, that resurrection reality that we talked about last week, it comes and lives inside of you. Now, everywhere you go, everywhere you walk, you're a carrier of God. You're carrying God's spirit, God's reality inside everywhere you go. And you take God in some pretty bad places sometimes. And that's not where God wants you to be. But the Bible says it like this in the book of Hebrews. The Bible says it like this. I'll never leave you, nor I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. No matter how deep, the psalmist said, no matter how far to the depth of hell my life seems to go, he is there with me. I can go to the highest heavens. God is with me. So we must believe that God is good. The second thing that we must do is we must understand that God consoles us. God consoles us. God comforts us. It's such a powerful reality. The Bible says this is why Jesus came. The prophet Isaiah spoke these words about 714 years before Jesus was born, about this Messiah that was to come, about this Jesus that died on the cross and rose from the dead. And it said, he has sent me, Jesus is saying this, he has sent me to comfort all who mourn, to give to those who mourn in Zion, 
the city of Jerusalem, joy and gladness instead of grief, and a song of praise instead of sorrow. Come on, did you hear that today? What Jesus has come to do. He's come to take your pain. He's come to take your sorrows. He's come to turn all the problems of your life into a moment of praise. Come on, no matter what you're walking through today, the moment you can start to turn and to lift your voice to God and be give him praise, the light, the revelation of who he is begins to shine on that dark moment, that dark cloud that wants to hang over your life and debilitate you, to keep you from being able to live the life that God has called you to. When you lift up the praise, the presence of God comes, and he turns your grief into a song. He turns your sorrow into joy. Someone said amen this morning. Oh, God, he's here to comfort us. He knows what you're going through. When Jesus was on the earth and he was ministering, he was moving to the very end of his life, and a very close friend of his by the name of Lazarus died. Mary and Martha were Lazarus' sisters, and they were so hoping that Jesus would show up and heal him before he died. And in the grave for four days, Jesus shows up. And the Bible says that when Jesus arrives on the scene, there's this sense of grief and sorrow that happens when a person dies seemingly premature. And there's so much sorrow. There's so much grief at the graveside. Jesus shows up, and the Bible says two words. Shortest verse, two, shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. That's it. He wept. He was there, man. Jesus weeps with you. Jesus weeps with you. Martin Luther, the great reformer, the great Protestant reformer in the 14th century, had a son who passed away. His wife, his name, her name was Kate, and she was a very unique lady. She was kind of a rascal herself, and, and she'd give Martin the business all the time. She'd give him a run for his money. And, and uh, at the passing of her son, she was angry. She was angry at God. She was angry at her husband, this preacher. She said, where is God when our son died? And you know what his response was? His response was the same place he was when his son died. The same place he was there weeping and crying. God sees your pain today. He's there Come, he's come alongside of you. And what happens in these moments, God draws near to us in our brokenness. God draws near to us in our brokenness. The psalmist says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those whose spirits have been crushed. You see, when you're on top, and you're living well, and you're living the dream, man, it's easy to forget God. I mean, when things are going well and the bank account is full and you're still able to turn your kid's head, your kid's head in the right direction and make them do what you want them to do, and you're winning in life, it's easy to forget God. But there's something about pain that slaps us back to the reality that we are not God. And we need him. And we need his presence. And we need his reality. And we need who he is in our life. And God has come to, to comfort the brokenhearted. I mean, that's when he does his greatest work in you. That's when he does his greatest work in me. He saves those whose spirits have been crushed. Something about humbling ourselves underneath the mighty hand of God that puts us in a position to experience everything he has for us. The third thing we must believe today is that God has given you a church family for your support. You're sitting in a local church. This is what I believe. The local church is the hope of the world. The local church that preaches the gospel. 
the, the local church that preaches that Jesus has risen from the dead. The local church that believes that Christ transforms people's lives. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The local church that believes that God answers prayers. Come on, the local church that believes that God delivers people from hurts, habits, and hangups. That's the hope of the world today. God, give you, God has given you a church family. Uh, over the last 30 years that I've been involved in serving in local churches, and, and I've seen a lot of things, and I've seen people come into the church who, who never were involved in a local church. People come, and they're looking for comfort and solace, and, and, that, and it's hard for them to find anybody because uh, they don't have any relationships. And the church wasn't there for me in my time of need. The church didn't know what I was going through. And I've always asked, like, where were you involved? Who were your closest group of friends in that local church? What areas were you giving back and serving? You know, because, see, here's the deal. You can only get what you've given. It's the law of sowing and reaping. The Bible says in the book of Romans, in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Be devoted to one another like a loving family. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. There's two ways that I believe that we can comfort each other. There's two ways that I believe that it takes place. The first one is to find your area of service. I mean, if you're doing pretty well today and and you feel like things, I mean, when you start to serve, when you start to give back and you start to recognize that your serving really makes a difference in the overall mission of God on planet Earth, and you start to feel better inside. We used to tell our boys when they were really little, when you do right, you feel right. When you do right, when you start to serve, you start to feel good. The second thing is we get into small groups. You hear us talk about small groups all the time. It is so, you, here's what happens in a small group. First of all, you learn how to care. You learn to just shut your mouth for a little bit, get in a group, listen to someone else that's going to a journey. I've been in some small groups, and every once in a while, especially small groups that are just starting, and I've heard some stories, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, what's, what's, you know, one of our rules is what's said here stays here. You're like, man, that was tough. Sorry you experienced that. But when we begin to listen to other people, we can show care. We can show empathy. We might not know what they're walking through, but we can have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And then what happens is we start to pray for one another. We start to not only share, but we start to grow spiritually as we get into the Word of God. See, what God wants us to do today, God wants us to do is to know and experience His power and presence in a very real, tangible way. And that's in the reality of a local church. The local church that's ministering to one another, all of us one body serving one another. I know we're busy, but make, make time. Make time for the most important thing in your life. And the most important thing for your life is for you to be whole, to become like Christ. Make time. The last thing that I want to, I, I want to share with in this process of learning to move forward is that God gives grief, God gives sorrow, God gives loss in your life, to help you grow. God gives grief. God gives sorrow. God gives pain to help us grow. The proverb says it like this. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Sometimes it's the pain that snaps us into a reality. Hey, we're not doing, this is not the right direction for my life. C.S. Lewis, the great philosopher of the last century, said something like this. We can ignore even pleasure but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's his megaphone 
Man, pleasure, things good, easy to ignore. But the moment pain enters into your world, the moment pain enters into your world, God, God gets your attention. What God wants you to know is that he can take the bad thing you're walking through right now, and he can turn it for your good and ultimately for his glory. He can do that. Only God can do that in your life. Only God can do that in your life. It was 19, October of 1995, and my mother, I was 32 years of age. My mother uh, contracted cancer, skin cancer, when I was 22 years of age. And over the next 10 years, man, lots of miracles. And, and for about eight years, man, it went into remission. And, and I mean, she, was, she loved God. She loved Christ. I'm here today, I'm telling you, partially as a response to her prayers. I mean, she was a godly woman. She didn't just love God, she loved people. She loved their neighbors. She was called the church lady. You know, Saturday Night Live used to have, used to have the church lady. My mom was the real church lady. She loved the church. She loved the people of the church, but she loved her neighbors. My mom would invite all the neighbors to church. I mean, there was every single week she'd walk around, and that, that was her thing, and she really impacted my life. And, and it was October. She had gone through another round of chemo, and all kinds of stuff was going on in her life. It was very sad. And I was living in, in, uh, in, I think we were in Seattle. I was living in Seattle at the time, and we were ministering. We were pastoring, and I couldn't be there. It was like the last two weeks of her life, so I sent flowers. And uh, I sent these flowers. I didn't know what, they, what the flowers had put together. But when I walked into the room the last couple days of her life, those flowers were still alive. They were two dozen roses, and they were absolutely beautiful. And when I walked into the room, she had just such an amazing smile. I mean, her head had been shaved. They had just done surgery, trying to deal with, you know, all these terrible, just terrible things. And she had such joy. I saw this huge smile, and she just thanked me profusely for sending these beautiful flowers. And when I realized in that moment that flowers were for the living. The flowers were for the living. And it did something to me. And in that point of my ministry, I became known as the flower pastor. <laughs> because if you've gone to this church any period of time and you've had a baby or maybe you've been in the hospital or maybe you've experienced death, I've tried to send you flowers if I've known about it. I've, not, I've tried to send flowers. People say, why do you do that? It's so much money. And one year we looked at the budget, and it was a lot of money. I was feeling, I wanted to, what I realized is that when I, when I send flowers to someone, it's a little piece of my mom. It's a little memory. That's exactly what, every time, I'll tell Melanie, Melanie, order flowers for so-and-so. Right in that moment, it's a little piece of my mom that I realize in that moment, it's going to bring joy to someone else. You see, that's when you start to grow. That's when you move from being a spiritual infant or being in kindergarten where you think this thing is all about you to realizing that God has called you to make a difference in other people's life. God has called you, God has called you to bring joy, to bring joy to other people. And when you bring joy, you receive joy. I want you to hear the rest of Maida's story. Check this out. At that point, my grandmother had passed, my father had passed, my first husband ended up dying, and then my mother died in my arms two years after that in the same house. I didn't think that God was anywhere to be found. I thought that I was a lost cause. I didn't want anything to do with church. I met Bruce shortly after my first husband passed away. He insisted, would bang on the door. He finally took me to his mother's house. He prayed over me all the time, even though I didn't want it to be done. Bruce had been brought up in the church all of his life. He 
told me that I was good enough to have a relationship with Christ, and then I married him. The only thing that saved me is the man that I'm married to right now. I've been with Bruce a long time. We celebrated our 19th anniversary. I was privileged and blessed to help him raise his four boys, and I have three grandchildren. I do a lot of things for City Church. Back then, I used to wash the windows right after Sunday services. There was nobody else in the building but me and I'm washing the windows. All of a sudden I hear this noise and I was startled. I had to look around because it sounded like it came from somewhere else. It just started flowing. I was speaking tongue before I knew it and I was having a good time washing the windows and I was dancing around. It was like I was filled up. I could literally feel being the warmth just filling all from my head to my toes. I walk home and it started again as I'm walking home and it was so uncontrollable that you know how when you see people on the street and you say, oh, that's the little crazy person that makes a lot of noise. I knew he was in me and I was convinced nobody else could tell me anything else. I currently work as a kitchen coordinator at City Church Academy. I also facilitate a small group by the name of Bruchere. Bruchere is a 13-week session. It's an excellent program. We're not there to fix people. We're not there to give you advice. We're there, just what it says, share. God had always been there, even with my grandmother. On her de deathbed, she was talking to Christ. Even though the whole time we always knew her, she was supposedly the atheist. So God had his hands on that. He had his hands on her teaching me the Lord's Prayer. I'm not gonna say you ever re recover from grief. It doesn't go away, you just learn how to deal with the, the waves that come. God had always been there. I said so many harsh things to him, but I know that he knows my heart. He's never left. Come on, <laughs> hallelujah! Oh, we serve a good God. <laughs> wow, so many things that she walked through. When she realized, when she came, what she had to experience is that God was there for her. All that pain. She said it so well. She said it so well. She, she said, I, I, you know, I can't move on. That was my story. But I've learned to move forward in God. I've learned to move forward. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome right now, Maida Scott. Come on, Maida, can you, come on, let's give Maida a great big hand right down here in the front row. Come on, Maida, thank you for sharing your story. So awesome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we love you. Amen. What an amazing story. Thank you for sharing your story, Maida. Wow. We all have a story. You know what having a story does? Our story enables us, gives permission, ultimately, to tell God's story. And Maida was able to tell God's story because what he's done in her life. And so I would just real quickly, I want to walk through some steps here. And you, you can take it. Listen, at some point in your life, if you're not experiencing grief right now, at some point, this message is going to be very needful for you. So you can be able to go back online and check this out. But a couple things real quick here. Steps in from real practical steps. First of all, first of all, accept the process of grief and pain. You're not on anybody else's timeline. Come on, it was a long journey. I, when I met Maida, she told me I was one hot mess. I mean, she was a mess. Her life was a mess. Man, it was a lot of pain there. I've I, I heard part of it, but to hear that like that today, I'm like, wow. 
That's a lot of loss, a lot of pain, a lot of grave. And you got to walk through this process. We heard it in the song that Christina sang so beautifully. There's a season and a time for everything. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to weep and a time to rejoice. There's a, there's a time to cry and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to dance and there's a time to sit down. There's, there's a season in your life. You, only you know your season. But don't get stuck in your season. Don't get stuck. So many people get stuck in that season of grief and pain and loss. And so what you have to do, the second thing you have to, you have to refuse to allow your pain and your loss to destroy you. So, I mean, you, there, it's just a human tendency. We become a victim, not a victor. We start to see our problems. And, man, it wasn't fair. What my husband did, I can't believe he did that. He cheated on me and left. And, you know, I just can't believe that they fired me. I served that company 30 years. And, man, I mean, that just happened. Boom. And, you know, it's not fair. Why did my kids turn out like that? I've done everything. I tried, and they made these choices. Refuse to allow the pain of your life to destroy you. Paul the Apostle for the church at Corinth says it like this in 2 Corinthians. We're these jars of clay. We're these earthen vessels. We recognize it today. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair or destroyed. Come on. God is for you today. God is for you today. Don't suppress it. Come on. This is the two things that people tend to do. They just kind of get all stoic and boom. I've watched people go through, you know, a death of a really close family member, just hardly have any emotion. And then like three months later or a year later, they're acting out or they just break down. Come on, just go through it. Just allow the process of whatever God is doing and you allow it to take place. So don't suppress it. The second thing is don't self-medicate. Don't self-medicate. It's what I see most people do. People play video games for hours. We, yeah, I mean, hours. My mother passed away, and this is back like 1995 when we were still playing Pong. Like video games were really like archaic. I was watching ESPN last night, and like these videos, I thought the guy was real. And these guys are, you know, I mean, they're amazing. They're like real people, right? And my dad for hours would just sit there, just kind of like shoving the grief and trying to process it. Don't do that. I, and people suck on the end of a bottle. They smoke the end of a joint. They do, people do all kinds of stuff. They self-medicate, trying to alleviate the pain of their past and of their life. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Because the last thing that has to happen is you have to activate your hope for a preferred future. Come on, you got to activate your hope. This is your choice. Like Rick Warren says, come on, how you choose to go through grief is up to you. We all have it. Activate your faith. I love, I love the Bible because it just tells the real stories of real people who went through all kinds of stuff. And God gave a promise to a guy by the name of Abraham. This guy had a promise that he was going to have a child. And his wife, Sarah, she got old and they still didn't have a child. And I love what it said. That God did eventually give them the child, but they held on in faith. They held on in faith believing. And then the writer of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 11. All these great people that lived in the past, David and Abraham, and so all these great people that lived, flawed people, all these great people continued living with faith. They didn't stop in hell. When you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep going. Oh, come on. They stayed in faith. They believed God was good no matter what was happening. They did not get the things that God promises people. But they were happy. They were happy just to see these promises coming far 
in the future. God has a bright future for you. There's eternity. We might not get everything in this life the way that we think it should, but let me tell you, there's a reward. There is a reward. There's a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. They held on in faith through the pain, through the problems. They trusted God. They believed that he was good, and guess what? They received their reward, the crown of life. Today, they're in the presence of Almighty God. There's no joy. There's no sorrow. There's no pain. There's no tears. There's no suffering. Come on. They're in the presence of Almighty God, experiencing the fullness of His joy. Your greatest life message and your most effective ministry generally is a result of your deepest hurts. That's what Rick Warren said. He said that in a response, and it's amazing. Immediately, he began to been to minister to people with mental illness. He and his wife began to make that one of their major initiatives. In the last five years, man, they've, they've held conferences and they've, they've done so much teaching and training to people on this whole area. And there's so many people plagued. I mean, this young man goes into a synagogue yesterday. I mean, I what, that's, uh, there's something wrong. You know there's something wrong. It's in our culture and society. And as believers, our greatest life message made his greatest life message. Come on, you heard her story. Come on, you might see her every week and she's happy and smiling and she's still serving and staying here driving the van and picking people up. You know why she drives and picks people up the church? Because she, know she knows that that's where she's found hope. That's where she knows that she's found life change. So she got to make sure other people get into the same experience in the same environment so they can experience life change. So what do we do today? What do you do? You're not going through this maybe right now. What's your step? Help others heal. How about that? Help others heal. When God's people, when God's people, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Be ready to help them. Always be ready or eager to practice hospitality. Always. That's what we do. We that are a little stronger in the moment help those who are weaker. We're not here to condemn. We're not here to throw stones. We're not here to make judgments. We're here to bring healing, to be a voice and to be hands of healing to people in their time of need. If you're going through grief, go back and watch this video again. If you're going through, if you're going through grief, honestly, allow God in the moment to bring healing that only he can bring. Open your heart. Just believe, believe God, you're good. Come on, with your own mouth, say, God, you're good. Don't allow that anger and all those things that you're walking through. Don't allow it to captivate and capture your heart. Allow God's goodness Allow his love to fill your soul.